And this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 9, Episode 13. I'm John DeCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com, joined today by Declan Landis and Johnny Wizlack, Kyle Gallus and Ramir Vaughn. They're not with us. We still love them, but they're they're not here. They're otherwise busy. Well, Ramir has class. Yeah. Kyle's working. So, uh, But we have a loaded, loaded, loaded show for you guys today. A lot of great basketball content and a very special guest who is here with us right now. We're going to introduce her in a second. She's going to participate in the intro with us. We're really, really happy to have her here. The Scoop, as always, is brought to you by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured while on the road or the highway and the crash was someone else's fault, the insurance company will not be on your side. You need us, Temple Law grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, call us today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans law. Dot com. I want to extend our sympathies to Mike Greenspan. Uh, if you remember when he first started sponsoring The Scoop, he talked about how much Temple meant to him. He's a Temple grad, and he used to go to Temple football games with his father. Mike recently lost his father, so we just want to send our thoughts out to Mike and his family. He wrote a beautiful, beautiful tribute to him on Facebook that you guys should check out. So just wanted to pass those thoughts along to Mike. He's been very generous to us, so I wanted to extend our condolences. With us here recording is Temple women's basketball coach, Diane Richardson. We are thrilled to have her here. Declan and Johnny have covered her a lot. We cover her with Al Scoop. You're one of just the best personalities on this campus here. We're thrilled to have you here. How you doing, coach? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me. No problem. I, I was telling you before we started recording, do this gimmicky thing where it's, again, season nine, episode 13. So we go through famous number 13, so we wanted to include you on that. When you think of famous number 13s, or any number 13, what jumps out to your uh, Allie Wilkinson, our new center, mm-hmm. Temple Women's Basketball. There you go. Number there you 13. Go. There you go. Declan, what's the one that you have? I actually don't have one this week. So. You don't have a single I number 13. I can't. I've been trying to think one. for okay. hours. I'll give you one. I can't Here's think a of hint. one. Here's a hint. His son plays. Yes. His son is going to be back playing quarterback. Oh, Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. All the sports you know, Declan, you can think of a 13. I just, you know, it's the memory, you know, it's just not great these days. You're too young to be having memory loss. I know, right? Tell me about it. Johnny, what do you got? Uh, the one that came to my mind was um, Wilt Chamberlain. Didn't he wear 13 yes, at he one point? Yeah, uh, sure no, like yeah. Arguably the greatest player of all time. Yeah, now I yeah. feel worse. Whiffed on that one. Isn't he a Philly guy, too? Yeah. 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 Overbrook oh, okay. High School. Oh, all right. About 15 minutes away. Awesome. Yep. Dan Marino. Oh, he oh, 13. 13. Yeah. yeah. They're all rolling off now, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Coach, again, thank you so much for being here. There's so much good stuff to ask you about, but... You have, now Declan and Johnny, I think a lot of people who are familiar with the program, they know about the incredible life story that you have, but there may be some people listening to this podcast who don't. And you were an NCAA track champion, the 200 and the 400, and you earned a spot in the 1980 US Olympics and you couldn't participate because of the Cold War. And even before we get into that and you being as successful as you were in the business world, 
tell me about like where it all started for you. Your, your mother, Josie, made a lot of sacrifices for you. Barbara Tyner, who was your coach at, I guess, Largo High School, right? Mm-hmm. Encouraged you to go and play in college. Can you tell us about them and just like the early parts of your life and, wh- and what sparked you to the journey that you're on now? Yeah, well, you know, I, I grew up with my uh, siblings. There were four of us and my cousins. There were five of them. So everything was rambunctious around the house. Mm-hmm. So um, my you know, my brother and my, my cousins were all guys. So I hung out with them all the time and I wanted to please my brother. So I really started running track when my brother, who's older, he used to pit me against other guys in the other, other neighborhoods. So he would say, you know, you guys can't beat me. I bet you can't even beat my little sister. So I wanted to please him. And so we had street races in the street where he would charge them, you know, bet them $2. And I would win. And so he made a lot of $2. Never gave me any of it, though. Um, <laughs> but that kind of started my my journey in athletics. And then I added basketball and during that time, it was when Title IX first came about, and so they were offering scholarships to, to girls. And coming from a, a family where we just couldn't afford hardly anything, I knew that I wouldn't be able to go to college without some help, without a scholarship. And my brother came home and he said, they're offering scholarships, so you better get outside and let's dribble around some trash cans and you know, let me teach you how to be a good basketball player. And he did, and I got a scholarship and went away to school, and it really changed my life. You know, the only one in my family to ever go to college, and it changed my life. It opened my eyes to a lot of things that could come to me. And, you know, I went on and used my education, started a company, worked for a bank, and then started my own investment firm. And then when we were were really successful because I I used a lot of the things I learned as an athlete, discipline and all that and competitiveness in my company. And we built our company to be this huge company. And and we were on kind of easy street. And I said, you know what? I got here because of sports, because I got an education, because, you know, I learned discipline and all that. And so my husband and I, who was the same way, we started donating money to inner city uh, programs, rec programs for young girls and young boys to be able to compete in AAU and summer basketball so that they can, you know, get scholarships as well. That's wonderful. I got to ask you about the, the track thing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to be an Olympian. Yeah. I mean, what was going through your mind at the time, like, just my luck that this is happening in 1980? Can you take us back to that? I mean, like, yeah. that's, it w- that's It was, you know, incredible. to be honest, you know, you, you work so hard and, and you want to represent your company, I mean, your country, but at that time it was scary. Yeah. So, you know, it was disappointing not to go, but it's kind of like, uh, I would have been really, really scared to go. And so after that, you know, we, we, we were kind of on pins and needles, like, are we going, are we not, are we training? But then again, the fear of maybe the Russians taking us out mm-hmm. was something in the back of our mind too. And at that time I was probably at my peak. And since we didn't go to the Olympics, I just said, I'll get married and have kids. You know? yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you able to look back at all and be like, well, I never got to participate in it, but just to be considered like you should be considered an Olympian. Like that's, yeah. that's a, that's a rarefied air. What does that mean to you? I know you've got so much to worry about now, yeah. your family, your children, a, a basketball program to run, but do you ever reflect on that? Be like, holy crap. Yeah, that's a it big was, deal. you know, it was phenomenal at the time. And again, I've got to take my hat off to my brother who pushed me, pushed me, pushed me to be really good at what I do. 
But I did have an opportunity in 2012 to coach USA Basketball in Moscow mm-hmm. and uh, got to, to go and visit the old Olympic Village and put my feet on the track there. Not the same, but, you know. <laughs> and you have it, the, the, the success you had in the business world. You have a, a bachelor's degree in psychology from Frostburg State, a master's from Central Michigan. And you talked just now about the success that you had. And, uh, tell us about you touched on it now, but like, tell us about how you really built that up, because that's another incredible part of your life story that maybe people don't know about you. That wasn't something where you just like, oh, I just started a business and did it for a yeah. few years. You were really, really successful. And then you gave back too. yeah, well, I'll tell you why I started my business. And, and I don't know that everybody knows this story. My first child, Dana, was born with cerebral palsy. And, you know, we, we didn't find it. We, we knew something. We kept saying something's wrong, something's wrong. And the doctors kept reassuring us, ah, some kids are slow, some babies are slow. And I said, you know, she's not picking up her head, not moving, you know, too freely. And at 10 months, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and severe mental delay. And they told me and my husband that she would never walk, she'd never talk, She'd never eat regular food, mm-hmm. and she'd never understand anything we ever said to yeah. her. And so my husband and I are former athletes, and you know, and and you know the power of prayer. And we prayed and prayed about it, and and we said we were going to give her the best that she could. Well, that we could, but it would take more money for her to get the therapy, you know, at least to do some things. And so I took a part-time job. And it was, you know, I was in banking at the time. I took a part-time job in investments, and mm-hmm. I used that to catapult to save money for her therapy. But then I was really good at it, <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so I started my own firm, and we grew and grew and grew. And at one time, we were the fastest-growing investment firm in the country. And I owe that to that perseverance, that resilience. Uh, and goal setting that I learned as a student athlete. And we were successful in doing that and very blessed. And my daughter, and I've got to say now, you know, my daughter, uh, right now she's in her 30s, but not only did she walk, she ran in the Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. She can out-eat her brothers, mm-hmm. so she's eating regular <laughs> foods. She's not talking, but she communicates, you know, in a different way, and she understands everything we say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just overcoming that, just I, I knew that there is a power in positivity. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried to live my life being very positive, and I am with my student-athletes mm-hmm. as well. And when we talk about goal-setting, if Dana could do all those things, mm-hmm. then surely we don't have to sweat the small stuff. I just want, and we'll ask you more about the rest of your family later, but I just give you all the credit in the world because I've never gone through that personally, but just the the physical, the mental, the financial piece that comes with that is is so incredibly expensive. And you, you touched on this, but you pray about it and you pray about it and you invest it, but what is the day-to-day like when you're going through that? Because if people just don't know what they don't know in this yeah. world, and that's been such a part of your journey that you, like you said, you pass along. Mm-hmm. What is it like? It, it was difficult for us, especially my husband and I, who were scholarship athletes, mm-hmm. and you know, me being an Olympian, to have uh, a child that could could not even move and we lost a lot of friends because people didn't know what to say and you know just being at home and I had to 
you know, be at home with her a lot. And mm-hmm. we did a lot with her and, and trying new things. But one of the things we instilled was the prayer and the positivity. And every day, when before we went into her room, every morning we'd say, I feel happy, healthy, terrific. And mm-hmm. we would clap our hands. Yeah. Happy, healthy, terrific, clapping. Mm-hmm. And for two whole years, there's no response, of course. Mm-hmm. But then one day, I turned on the light and she started clapping. Oh. And then I knew, oh my goodness, this, the power of prayer and positivity is tremendous. And from then on, she started to, you know, we, we kept believing in her and kept believing in her. And to, to see her get up and fall down thousands and thousands and thousands of times before she took a step, but we kept positive. We kept kept being positive and again she ran in special olympics and she has a silver medal and uh, she cherishes that thing and she's done that you know every year for a long time that's incredible yeah that really is um not to segue out of that incredible just story but we kind of want to talk a little bit about like your basketball career too and Mm -hmm. um you know starting out i got a chance to ask you a little bit about this but um you know keeping your day job and then working at Riverdale and getting into you know the high school game can you take us through like what was your decision to start coaching and then um, you know why do it part-time and then slowly get back into it yeah well um, the reason I did it part-time is because I was vice president of Bank of America and I didn't want to give up that check yeah I don't blame you I don't blame you be a huge pay cut yeah but I eventually did. But, you know, one of the things we wanted to do, my husband and I, was, again, to pave the way for others to be able to do what we did. And I wanted to take an inner city high school, like when I went to school, and have that relationship, a coach and an a athlete relationship where you believe in them and you push them. And my goal was to get these inner city young girls an avenue to go to college. And in order for them to do that, they had to get scholarships. And and so on the teams, we worked a lot on skill development to get them to be some of the best players in the country so they could get scholarships. And in the meantime, they got to be pretty good. And our team was pretty good. And we were nationally ranked uh, a lot of the years I coached uh, part-time in the high school. And then, you know, you, you told me a little bit about this, but for our Owl Scoop audience, like, Can you take us through what you learned as coach at Riverdale and, you know, how it applies to how you coach now, both on the floor and in recruiting and everything beyond that as well? Yeah, you know, I'm just a relationship person, and I think relationships kind of rule the world. And with starting in high school, it was giving them confidence, confidence that they could perform on the basketball court, but that confidence spilled over into life and whether it was their academics or whatever and and so I like to build relationships first so that they know that I really really care and the confidence piece has been huge for me over the years in teaching them how to be confident in themselves and with confidence is preparation and so we try to put those two things together and even from a high school to now it's always a relationship with them and with their families to understand that we are here for them to help them and not just for ourselves. After that, I mean, you had your coaching since at American in Maryland, but then you went back to Riverdale Baptist in 2009. Can you just kind of tell us, I mean, because that's where we saw you go back to basketball for good. Can you kind of tell us the decisions you made along the way? And like, how did it, how did you weigh everything along the way as well? 
Yeah, well, you know, again, starting part-time at high school at Riverdale and and coaching so many athletes to win away to college and get scholarships. And so I started getting calls from college coaches wanting me to be on their staff. Uh, we had such a winning combination of of players and the relationship piece I think is important because they run through a wall when they know that you care. And so I went to American University and then got a call from, I was there a year, we played for the conference championship, which they had never done. And I got a call from Brenda Freeze at, at uh, Maryland to join her staff. And I went to Maryland and still we were, we still had our companies as well. So we, we got a new product. And so I stepped away to go back to business and I knew I still wanted to coach, and so I went back to Riverdale to do that part-time while we ran our company, and it was a new company, too. So, and then I got the fever again, and then, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. and then I went back out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when you took the assistant role at GW in 2012, did it feel like things really started to kick back into full gear in terms of getting reinvested and back into the college game? Yeah, absolutely. And and Jonathan Sippus, who was at uh, an associate head coach at Notre Dame, had just gotten the job at GW in the DMV, which I have lived my entire life in the DMV. And they call me the queen because <laughs> um, I've done a lot for girls basketball in the area. So Jonathan reached out to me because he knew of my my uh, my reach in the DMV and asked me to be on his staff. And you know, knowing him for so long, I said yes, because one, I knew I had a handle on girls basketball and I wanted them to be successful. And I knew Jonathan was good at heart and he was a good coach. And so I joined his staff and ended up staying there. And, you know, in the meantime, I had John Quill Jones and uh, she went away to Clemson and then she transferred back home and played for us at GW. And the rest was history, I guess, because we won some championships. <laughs> <laughs> and she's part of your family. Yes, right? yes. And so my husband and I adopted her when she was 13. Mm -hmm. And uh, she played for me in high school. So she had to put up with me in high school and, and, <laughs> and pushing her to get better. But I, this one thing I said to her is like, I, I coach Marissa Coleman at Maryland, and she put up a thousand shots every morning before breakfast. And so John Quill started to do that, except that she was doing that right outside our bedroom window. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was loud. You know, we she heard that bouncing at 5 a.m. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but she's worked really hard, and, mm -hmm. you know, she's a WNBA MVP and all that. Mm -hmm. So, Can you take us through what it meant to you to coach her in high school and then in college? Like, what, what did that feeling feel like for you? to see her succeed on the floor at multiple different levels. Yeah, she, you know, when she, when she first came, she wasn't, you know, that great. And so I put her on the JV. And uh, at the end of the year, I usually bring up a couple players from JV to play when we go to the national tournament. We were playing in the championship game, the final, and every single person played except for John Quill. Hmm. And on the way, ride home, she cried and just boo-hooed, I can't believe it. And I said, just because your mom is the coach doesn't mean you get to play if you haven't put in the work. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was to get back at me or she just wanted to be better because she turned it on. And she was, you know, it's more that, uh, you know, as much as I pushed her, the more she played hard and the make, more she worked. And she challenged me as a coach because everything I threw at her 
she would absorb it. She wanted to practice six hours a day. And, uh, and you know, her work ethic is better than anybody I've ever coached. And so she's deserving of all the accolades she has, and she's still learning. She still wants to be in the gym all the time. And I'm proud of her, proud to be her yeah, mom. Yeah, should be. When you were at West Virginia, you interviewed for the for the Towson job, and I read the story that the Baltimore Sun did about you back in 2019 and how you won over Tim Leonard, the AD there. What were your emotions like when you got when you got the offer to, to be a head coach because you had been successful? But again, that's a lot of thinking and planning. Like, am I doing the right thing? It's it's a risk, and then to yeah. see it pay off in a head coaching job, and, and we'll ask you, of course, about the success you had at Towson. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you sat with it and said, "I'm now a head coach"? Yeah, it was it was a good feeling for me. It, you know, I I got into it just to help young ladies, but as I got more into it, I really really loved it. I mean, I was very passionate about it. And, you know, had the conversation with my husband that I want to do this full time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he supported me all the way. But when Towson called and, and I had that interview with Tim Leonard, I just spoke from my heart, mm-hmm. you know, like what I wanted to do as a head coach. And it was also back home. And, you know, he, he gave me that opportunity to do that. And I just coached with passion, coach with passion and you know, we had some success and, you know, I've loved it every single, you know, every since I, I, you know, sometimes, you know, I read Inc. Magazine and some of the, you know, magazines and I'm like, oh, I could be doing that. But I love basketball. I absolutely love it. He had the regular season title there, the 2019 NCAA tournament appearance. What are some of the other memories that, that stand out to you? When I used to interview John Cheney, he would say, I see faces, I see faces, faces pop into my head. What are some of the memories that stand out to you when you think back to your time there? I know it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I I remember Tim Leonard, you know, we were playing, you know, the first year was tough, you know, obviously coming in new, um, you know, the team was already set up. So, you know, I kind of went with what we had, but in the meantime, I got to realize what we needed. And my staff and I went out to find what we needed in terms of players to be successful. And I remember it was the the first year we won nine games. The second year, we were playing in the conference tournament and we won the first game. It was at Delaware on their home court. And Tim Leonard came to me after the game and he said, oh my goodness, we're gonna be playing tomorrow. He said, Mm -hmm. my Vacation was scheduled tomorrow. <laughs> he said, so, oh, I, I, I guess I better come back tomorrow. And then the next day we played and he said, oh, my goodness. And uh, then after we won, he was the first one to run and give me a hug. And, and mm-hmm. he's not a hugger. Mm-hmm. And I am. Uh-huh. But I said, oh, my goodness, I guess we did something. Tim uh-huh. Leonard's running up hugging me. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a great feeling, and just to see the young ladies just so happy. I mean, the confetti's coming down, and mm-hmm. they're, and I just looked for my husband, and I'm like, like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a great feeling. It was great for the, the athletes that stuck mm-hmm. in there with us, and uh, they all got their rings, and they were so happy. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to tell you this story, though. So I'm not a fan of tattoos, and so some of the girls had tattoos and I playfully you know pat them and you know so we were ranked eight out of ten pre preseason number mm-hmm. eight out of ten and my girl said my player said in the circle one day coach and I said you guys should be getting paid you're looking like walking billboards and then they're like ah. <laughs> coach yeah okay coach all right if we win the conference you got to get a tattoo and I said <laughs> 
hmm, okay, because I figured that would push him to be like number four. Yeah. We just, you know, won nine games last year, so I said, yeah, okay, sure. Well, as soon as the confetti came down, they came to me and said, Coach, you got to get a tattoo. <laughs> and so now I have the teeniest of all tattoos mm-hmm. on my back, you know. You so <laughs> they said, Coach, that's like the qu- size of a quarter. And I was like, hey, but I held up my end of the <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> so obviously you have such an impactful legacy at Towson and have built up so much history there. Can you take us through what the move was like to get to Temple and to become that, you know, that next step in your journey? Yeah. Well, you know, I was kind of surprised my new athletic director at at Towson, um, Steve Eichenbrot, called me. I was on a flight going to the Final Four in Minneapolis. And as the plane was landing, the call came in and he said, the athletic director at Temple wants to talk to you. And I said, oh, okay. He said, well, I'm going to give you his number. And I said, okay, well, all right. And by the time I went to pick up my luggage and baggage claim, I got a call. And they said, uh, Arthur Johnson wants to interview by Zoom at 9 in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, whoa, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing I bought a suit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we did the Zoom interview. And uh, afterwards, I got a call to say they are flying into Minneapolis to interview face to face. And I had to have a, uh, a dinner with my then staff. And I said, guys, I, you know, <laughs> you all been having fun, but I've been bit getting grilled by a Temple now. I said, but um, I had an interview with Temple and then I had a second interview and I think I might get the job. What do you guys want to do? And they were like, we're going with you. And mm-hmm. that was great. And uh, you know, I, I, and after that meeting, they flew me into Temple, and I came into Temple and had a conversation with uh, Arthur and, and then President Wingard, and um, they offered me the job. And I was pleased. I'm telling you, I was excited because I've watched Temple for a long time, and some of my former players played mm-hmm. at Temple, and uh, I was elated to be able to, to get a chance to come here with you know the academic and the athletic resources that Temple has it's it's unbelievable and then year one you know you're a lot of first-year coaches are addressing their roster and you know trying to find the right players for the culture and you end the season with eight active players and then hit the portal really hard this offseason and now you've got a full roster but can you take us through your first season and, and navigating you know the ups and the downs of of trying to fit everybody together and find that good chemistry that you want to you know take that right first step yeah it, it you know people talk about the process and trusting the process well i learned last year that you de- definitely have to trust the process it was different than i thought coming in and i think a lot of it too were, were expectations you know this is is a, a school that's rich in history and my ex- expectations were were higher last year but it didn't work out that way and 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 i know as a coach culture is really really big and it's half the battle and we were just defining our culture and trying to get the right mix in it and we did in the year with with only eight players um, but we were looking for those players that wanted to buy in and those players that 
wanted to get back to the tradition of winning. And I think we have that now. And we have the returners, and then we have people that have joined us this year. And it's been remarkable. The culture has really changed. Hey, you've talked, you talked about how you or look for players that kind of want to win, but what else kind of goes into the recruiting? You've had this full offseason to kind of look at the recruiting and getting people in, but what do you look for when you recruit players? Well, you know, obviously skill, but, you, you know, good people. And, you know, some of the things I watch when I'm watching them play is how do they interact with their coach? You know, are they coachable and are they a good teammate? And along with that, you can have the, you know, you can have the the best players which you know I learned last year but if they're not coachable and if there's the culture is not great it doesn't help you it, it just actually hinders you and so we look for that right off the bat mm-hmm. being coachable skill being coachable and the love of the game yeah and also something you've talked about uh, is your motherly instincts when that come over when you for people that you care about. Do you ever uh, find that it is tough to strike the balance between being a coach and having those motherly instincts, or do you think they just work really well together? I think they really work well together. And you know, not only am I a mother of four, but I'm a mother of a, an elite athlete, and so I've seen both sides of it. And one of the things when we do when we recruit, we are as transparent as possible because I've been on that other side where, you know, you hear the spiel that coaches give and then they turn into, you know, a monster (laughs) after. Mm -hmm. And I, I never want a family to have that feeling. I never want a family to have to hear their daughter calling crying because they're not happy. Declan wrote that, that great story that about in the Temple News for the for the basketball preview. And he started with the anecdote about you having known Aaliyah Nelson since she was eight years old. What does she mean to this team, and what's it like to have that relationship go that far back? Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the things I do when I recruit. I go and look at them really early, and mm-hmm. and watching Aaliyah, I always wanted her to be to play for me, even you know as a high schooler. But watching her, and then she, you know, she went to Cincinnati. Didn't have such a great year, but I knew what she had in her, and I know she was a born leader. I knew she was a leader on the court from when she was nine years old, and when she went into the portal, we were the first to call mm-hmm. her. And you know, she actually disappointed me because it was between us and Cincinnati, and she chose Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, she she's here and she's doing a wonderful job she knows what I like she knows what I expect and she's a leader she's she's funny <laughs> mm-hmm. but she's a leader we're gonna miss her when she's gone because she's goofy mm-hmm. but she knows what it's like to be a champion and she really wants that and she goes out of her way to make sure that our culture is right mm-hmm. and when we were talking you mentioned that you know after that tough year at Cincinnati, like she wasn't the most confident and right. it blew my mind personally hearing <laughs> right. un- unconfident. <laughs> yeah. Nelson. Yes. Uh, but, and then you talked in your media day too, that uh, Tiara East has gotten so much better because mm-hmm. she's become so more, so much more confident in what she's able to do. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you get players to be more confident on the floor and yeah. in their game? Yeah. And, and the confidence, again, we, we talk about confidence, controlling your performance and if you can control and you can be confident you can control what happens and Tierra East the same thing when, when we got here you know before I got here I watched film of everybody and just watched their tendencies and Tierra I thought could be doing a little bit more 
well, okay, a lot more. <laughs> so, yeah. but it started with the confidence and getting her. And I said, yeah, you can shoot. I mean, I'm looking at your form. You can shoot. Move it out. Move it out. You know, and just working with her and our staff working with her. Same with Aaliyah. You know, you 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 may not feel confident from something that happened before, but we're here to boost your confidence, and we're going to give you the tools to make you confident, help you to be confident. And we see that in Tierra East, and I'm telling you, she's going to be a monster. So, uh, and she's getting more and more confident, and that's what we do as a, a staff try to give all of our student athletes from you know one through 15 confidence in what they do and you mentioned earlier the importance of the players that wanted to stay that wanted to be part of this culture can you tell us a little bit a little bit more about like Terriana Gary and S mm -hmm. Piper Michaela Walid like the people that are that were here for year one and stayed for year two what have yeah. you seen from them in the offseason and what do they mean to this roster yeah in the offseason they have really worked really hard you know again banding together at, with the eight of them at the end of the season I remember our first game when we only had eight players and we won and they were hugging each other like we know we can do it we can do it and uh, you know as the season went on of course having eight players is tough because you get tired but uh, you know they know that our culture has changed and they now are playing for each other and they put in the time you know, we, we did a team retreat and it was all love. All of our, our staff was looking like, oh, my goodness, like this is half the battle right here. <laughs> and and we see it and we see it. We've seen it in our last two scrimmages where they're playing for each other. And we talked about the people that stay. But what about some of the newcomers? You have Kendall Currents coming in, Jalissa mm -hmm. Molina, Tristan Taylor, freshman coming in. What do you expect to see from them and how have they kind of gelled with some of these returning players? Yeah, the, the one thing, like you all mentioned, about the eight players, they are rejuvenated and they know, you know, we want to turn this thing around. And so they've kind of taken a lead with all the new players and kind of taken them under their wings. When we when you see practice, you see everybody talking. They're talking to each other. They're encouraging. And if they mess up, they're telling them what they need to do. And that's been great for us. And, and the newcomers, they're loving that. And it makes them feel like a part of it, like they're not new. And and bringing in five freshmen is really typically hard. But I've got to say hats off to my staff and hats off to the returning players that they're making this really comfortable in a place where they all want to be. And what are you looking to kind of get out of the front court this season? Because that's some, a place you guys sort of struggled last year. It, do you yeah. expect Rain Tucker coming in, who had to sit out last year? Is she going to be a big piece of that front court? Yeah, definitely. And you know, Rain, I had the the opportunity to coach her at Towson, so we know what she's capable of. Unfortunately, she couldn't show us that last year, and we were a little thin in the post last year. And you know, as games started, I would look at the opposing coach and see her sending in her army of post players and I'd say uh oh we're in trouble but this year we filled those holes and not only do we have Rain Tucker uh, Denise has escalated her game Piper has done a great job over the summer and then Jalisa Molina from the Netherlands is she's going to be really good too and I think we are, are kind of lucky in getting some of the players that we got this this year and we've got to talk about Monday's season opener as well. Uh, you guys are kicking off that doubleheader hosting Delaware State. Where's the team at right now coming into that this Monday? And also, what do you expect from Delaware State? 
Well, I, I think that they're very scrappy. They're very athletic and very scrappy. Scrappy. So, you know, we want to push the ball and transition, but so do they. So they've got to stop us in transition. We've got to stop them in transition. Our team is so excited. They are so amped up to play. And it's even more special that it will be a doubleheader with the men. And, you know, hopefully people will be out there and come in early so they can see us because we definitely are going to stick around for the men's game. And it's been a good relationship with the men's team and the men's staff and our staff and our players. We, we uh, root each other on. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times, we're in each other's practices just watching with, with mutual respect of each other. Our staff watches the men's practice. The men's come in and watch ours. And then our girls, you know, and their guys are always, you see them in the hallways, hey, what's up? You know, so it's been a special relationship. And so hopefully Monday we both will, you know, have a great game obviously every year they do preseason polls right for the conference yeah. and this year they picked you to finish ninth um can you tell us like do you put any stock into things like that as a bulletin board material like take us through like your thoughts on that and and how you see your team faring in conference play this season yeah well i'm fine with the nine because then you know when we come out number one then people will say oh wow they got that wrong oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, I think that we're better than a nine. But, you know, if that's what the they think, then, okay, well, we're just going to go on and, and keep pushing for a championship. We want to bring a championship back to Broad Street. So we're going to be pushing for a championship. I remember the day that Adam Fisher was introduced. We were there for his introductory press conference, and then they do, like, the breakout sessions and stuff. And I told Declan and Johnny this, and I remember – waiting to try to get a one-on-one with fish and was talking to lynn greer and some other players and i just heard like this laughter and this chatter and i look over and you're just like holding court with these guys and (laughs) and and laughing and you have just this i'm sure five million people have said this to you you have a very very infectious personality and it's genuine because you like you say you have the unique perspective of watching your daughter get recruited and you know you can sift through the bs as a coach with you it's genuine where does your personality come from? Is it is it did it come from your family? Is it something you've acquired? Because it is like you have people laughing. Anybody who's met you on this campus, they're like, whoa, like she like I really enjoyed my my conversation with Coach Rich. Where does it come from? I, I don't know. I, I you know I'm just a positive person. I, I think I learned a lot from my grandmother, mm-hmm. who's positive and always willing to help people. And I think I got that from her. And then my mother raised me to do that too and, and my older brother so I, I I'm just a positive positive person and I always look for the best and and then of course my daughter Dana really showed me that positivity can change things what is this might sound like a simple question but what does not only what does your family mean to you but how also do you balance it out like my wife and I don't have kids yet and I hope that I can at some point be half the parent that, that you've been to your family and she'll tease me because like I, I do a lot here at Temple do a lot with Al Scoop and then like you're trying to follow recruiting news and you're managing all these things and I'm on my phone a lot and she'll tease me for that mm-hmm. and as a coach you're on your phone a lot you're checking yeah. in with recruits and you're checking in on your players how do you balance it out with with all the responsibilities that you've had with your family and everything they mean to you how do you how do you make it work because I'm sure it's not easy well I you know just giving as much as I can whenever I can um, you know, my, my, my kids grew up when I was a, a, a CEO. I was always on private jets flying here and there and everywhere. So I've always learned that quality, quantity time. 
uh, I mean, quality time instead mm -hmm. of quantity because I, I was traveling so much when I was when they were younger. But I always spend that that quality time. My youngest son is autistic as well, so I've got two special needs children. So I'm used to dealing with different situations and different. One is my my oldest daughter is less functioning. My son is autistic, but he's very bright, smarter than me. Um, so you know, I'm used to dealing with the differences. And you know, Jonquil, of course. So I'm just used to just doing what I need to do for everybody that needs it to get done. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, we have a few mailbag questions. These are, these are screen names that come from our Al Scoop message boards. The first one, the screen name is North Broad. His question is, you're coming off hosting a five-star recruit on an official visit. I know you can't talk about her, so we'll, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Per, per NCA rules, you can't talk about the actual visit. Right. But his question is more about what's the thought process behind swinging for the fences and recruiting? Because obviously, again, you can't talk about the specific player, but you're, you're obviously not afraid to recruit anybody anytime, anywhere. No, not at all. If you've got a good product, and I, we do have that at Temple, the resources are just more than I've seen where I've ever, ever I've been. And I have a serious conviction with me. Like I love Temple. And when I am talking about that to people, they feel that coming from me. I think that we have one of the best opportunities for young ladies to play. And no, we may not be what they say power five, but that doesn't have any effect on the way I coach or the way they play. Then next question here, the screen name is dblaze75. Uh, for Coach Richardson on the men's basketball side, Hysir Miller wrote a children's book and is dedicated to giving back to his community and Quante Berry is raising money for lupus. What is your message to Temple alumni and fans to partner and help you with your women's basketball program to enrich the lives of student athletes in the community and how can we help you build a successful program? Oh, that's a great question. I have a program called Hoops and Heels and we partner professional women with our student athletes. And they, you know, they, of course, sit courtside at our games and cheer them on, but they are also working as mentors. And each month we do a session of uh, what we call meaningful things. So we, the vice president of Burlington, you know, a VP at Lincoln Financial, we have women like that, you know, deans of the schools that work with our student athletes. And each year they present something different. You know, I mean, each month, I'm sorry, they they present something like, you know, resume writing, or I have a girlfriend who's went to college with me, who's a CEO of a cybersecurity firm. One of our student athletes interned with her this past summer. So there are internship op opportunities, there's mentoring opportunities, and there is uh, informational. So we want to have as many people plugged in as possible and as many women plugged in mm -hmm. as possible as well. Is there a website we can plug for you or Twitter? Well, if or? you go to women's basketball mm -hmm. um, at alsports.com, mm -hmm. you can click on the link hoops and heels awesome uh final mailbag question for you here the the screen name is matt deebs what are the challenges in recruiting at temple in north philadelphia how do you get the buzz back that john cheney and don staley had not that long ago in such a different landscape now compared to to then one of the things we want to do is get back to the winning tradition. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about that with recruits, we talk about that. That is our banner when we go out as a staff. We want to get back to the tradition of winning here at Temple. And we're going to do everything that we can to do that. You know, I, I think today I'm talking to you all. This is like my fifth 
thing today of yeah. talking to people mm -hmm. to get them to know about our program. Mm -hmm. And we want to have people in the seats. We want our young ladies to see the fans out there and see the hard work that they put in. It's going to be exciting basketball, yeah. though, I'm yeah. telling you. Final question. Just outside of basketball, and I know you probably don't have a, a ton of time outside of basketball, but what do you do when you're not detach it when you're like detached from basketball if that's possible well it, hardly possible but i am um completing my phd right now oh jeez yeah <laughs> no, no, yes. no small no small endeavor yeah so i am uh, getting my phd in psychology with an mm -hmm. emphasis on performance and that's wow. where we get this confidence controls performance wow how far how far into it are you how much i've already defended but i i always oh, wow. take a break during uh, basketball season so i have a probably about six months to get published but i'll do that after the season you getting here to, to no, i'm getting i started it a couple years ago before i got here it's grand canyon university oh, okay yeah wow how yeah. do you like again that's not easy how do you how do you i guess how do you discipline yourself to make time for it i have a bad habit of not sleeping and so i <laughs> i do my studying from 10 to 2 every night wow automatically 10 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. and it's and it's such a habit that I've been doing for so long and my players are getting on me saying oh you need to get more sleep but you know sometimes when you make these habits it's hard to break what about music and food what do you what do you turn to what's what's your favorite go-to meal or like or some, <laughs> some music that you listen to well I'm I'm loving seafood I love seafood mm -hmm. I'm from you know Makes the, sense. yeah, yeah. Yep. so I I love a seafood meal last night I had some Alaskan king crab legs and mm. some lobster mac and cheese oh, and sounds some good. crab oh. fried rice so oh, really um, I love to eat and from a music standpoint i like um r&b but when i pre-game i have my headphones on and i listen to gospel music that's incredible yep. coach this has been fantastic thanks so much for spending time with us i appreciate it and good luck to you on monday thank you so much thanks so much you thank all. you coach thank you so much big big thank you to diane richardson she's you know in this business i'll say this we are tasked with being fair and, and being objective I, I tell when i teach class i say i don't think that anybody's truly objective you just have to be fair but she's just a person that you you know when we cover games you have to you have to tell the truth who won who lost all the stats and all the insight and everything but i mean she's just a person that you just root for in life she's just an incredible human being to be around that what she has been through to help raise her children just the risks she took in her life and walking away from a from big job, how she balances all out. I mean, she's just she's just a joy to be around. You guys have have spent more time around her than than I have in, in in covering the team. But I mean, she really reminds me of some of the the more charismatic coaches that have come in here and really embraced everything that Temple's about. She's her own person, certainly. But Don Staley did that. Al Golden, like revamping the the Temple football program did that ever since i told you about that flip the switch thing you really like a awesome. sponge you remember i think it's awesome um what you guys i mean you 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 covered the team more than, than than i did last year but i mean what are your impressions of that conversation i mean she's just she's just so much fun to talk to about leadership and life and and just uh what she's doing now like i can see why she's been successful on the recruiting trail and we'll get to that in a second I, I i mean that conversation i mean it blew me away but it also didn't surprise me at all mm -hmm. because it covering her the way we did last year i think the way 
that the, all the problems that they had only having eight active players at the end of the season. I mean, the season could have derailed right there, but mm-hmm. it didn't. And I think this at the center of that is Coach Ri- Coach Richardson and kind of the culture that she instilled with the team and the, just the person that she is. Mm-hmm. I think she the the team easily could have folded there, but they didn't. And I think that's kind of why it just is around the person that she is. And Declan, you obviously again you you did a great story for the Temple News for the women's basketball preview. And you really uh, think so? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, act like you've been there. <laughs> um, Come on, and I'm not just saying that because I'm your advisor. It's a really good story. <laughs> Very good story. But, you know, you just spent some time with her recently just for a one-on-one interview for that 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 story. What do you, what have you seen? Again, you've been around some practices. What have you seen, if, like, the fact that she's had and she's been able to really kind of revamp her roster? What do you think is possible for them this year? Yeah, I think we've seen really at all levels of sport, in any sport, the best teams or most successful teams have the best chemistry off the floor as they do on the floor. Like they, they are, you know, <laughs> a line that sticks out in my head, uh, had the volleyball coach, Linda Hampton Keith said it to me. And I think it's great. It's, you're not a family when you're on the floor because you know, a family, you got to love unconditionally a team you need to help hold people responsible for. And I think that's what you see in this program as well. Like, you know, they love each other and, and they, they play hard for each other but they know how to hold each other accountable as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big step from you heard coach rich say it where they were last year, because they've now found the people that want to be in coach rich's program. What miles Jackson told me was coach rich university. Like they mm-hmm. found the people that want to be under her learning tree and want to play for her. And I think that just can take them an extra step. We saw what they could be last year, right? We saw a lot of flashes of that, sort of fast-paced offense that shoots the three well and can, you know, hang with any team in the conference. They just were down to, you know, their final, like, six players mm-hmm. at times that could actually play on the floor. So I think now you see a team in practice that could potentially, like she said, win a conference championship mm-hmm. and can hang with these teams that, you know, are scoring, you know, buckets on almost every time down the floor. Like, they can hang with those sort of teams I think the defensive piece and the front course piece are the big question marks. Can they get rebounds? Can they end possessions or keep possessions alive on the offensive end as well? That's going to be the probably the biggest question mark, but I think they're in the best position that they could be entering this offseason, like where they could see themselves. I think they are right where they want to be, and I think that could lead to success this season. Yeah, so they start their season Monday against Delaware State, and then after that is the men's game where they open up against Maryland Eastern Shore. Now, when I was talking to Diane and uh, was posing that mailbag question to her, now most of you are familiar with this, maybe some of you aren't. Uh, Division One head coaches cannot speak on the record about recruitable athletes, meaning athletes that they're recruiting but haven't signed a national letter of intent yet. And so she couldn't talk about the the specific player, but she did just recently wrap up an official visit with Kiomi McMiller. Uh, you saw us uh, tweet that news out last night from the Al Scoop account. She's a five-star recruit. ESPN has her as a top 25 recruit. Rivals doesn't have women's basketball rankings that, that, that I know of, but ESPN has her as ranked as a five-star recruit, plays at Life Center Academy just across the river in Burlington, New Jersey. Uh, she has a couple more official visits before she's going to decide. I mean, that's – now, I'm sure Diane, obviously – you know, she, she had her in for an unofficial visit for the Miami game the weekend that Temple played Miami, and she came out in the rain and was 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 tailgating a little bit, meeting people, and then just wrapped up her official. I mean, Diane's coming off a season where, she, like you said, she finished with eight scholarship players, 
you know, they, they didn't have the season they wanted. You know, again, I'm sure that if, if Diane could talk openly about it, she's probably going to say I'm not in it for moral victories. But to get a five-star recruit in for an official visit, there's such a disparity, excuse me, a disparity in women's college basketball between the haves and the have-nots, between the Yukons, the South Carolinas, the Notre Dames of the world. And the fact that they're even in the mix and in her final list of schools tells you about like how much of an effective recruiter she is. And again, she she has this incredible, incredible life story. I could just listen to her talk endlessly because it's genuine. It's not, you know, even if you, if I've obviously never been a division one athlete, but you, if you cover enough coaches, you know, the ones that are genuine, the ones who aren't. So, uh, yeah, they're in the mix there for a very, very good basketball player. Now, Kiyomi is originally from the DMV, but she's playing again, playing in South Jersey. So, uh, at Life Center Academy, we'll keep you posted on that. And yeah, even if Kiyomi doesn't make, you know, doesn't end up at Temple, they already have Adina Webster committed. Mm -hmm who was the second leading scorer in right. the country last mm -hmm. year. You've got Savannah Curry, who's at Westtown Academy. Mm -hmm. She's had a heck of a season, you know, back-to-back -back state championships. Like, she is taking these these steps in leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. You know, what coaches tried to do in three or four years, this is her first full offseason. Like, it just it's it spells a lot of optimism mm -hmm. for the future of the program. Yeah. And on the recruiting front, it was a big week and a very successful week for Adam Fisher, which fans had been recruit. Uh, which fans have been waiting for. Um, they got not one, but two verbal commitments. And again, if, you, if you've been locked in at Alscoop, you knew that this stuff was coming up. They got an, uh, On Tuesday, they got a verbal commitment from Dylan Batie. Yes, he is the son of former Temple forward Derek Batie. He played for John Chaney from 1992 to 1996. Dylan plays at Lancaster High School down in Texas, not far from, from Dallas. He had offers from Washington, Washington State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Really athletic, stretch three, really, really good pickup for Temple. So that's their first verbal commitment from the 2024 class. We have a couple stories up about him. I wrote about him the day that he committed. And then uh, if you're an Alscoop subscriber, you can hear my full conversation with Dylan Batiste. So check that out. Uh, again, a great, great time to, to subscribe. A lot of basketball content on the site. And then today, just right around 3 o'clock p.m., Aiden Tobias from St. Elizabeth High School uh, down in Delaware, verbally committed. This is a really, really good pickup for Temple. People are going to look at his offer sheet. They're going to see Delaware, Dell State, Sacred Heart, and the casual fan's going to say, okay, Temple should be out recruiting these programs. If you read my my story, uh, I talked to Ari Rosenfeld from Elite High School Scouting. He's going to be on the scoop with us next week, and, and uh, Ari always does numbers. Our, our podcasts with Ari are some of the most <laughs> listened to stuff, and uh, most downloaded because people love recruiting news. Ari's really high on him, um, and the people I've talked to about, again, I haven't seen Aiden play yet in person, but he's, he's really done a turnaround in the last couple of months or I should say his his game has improved to where he's a really good three-point shooter he's very athletic he's 6'5 uh they played in some of like some of these I guess you call them preseason showcases I mean he just had a game where where St. Elizabeth played Newman Gretti and he dropped 35 and 10 on Newman Gretti he's got a really good three-point shot this is a very very good pickup for for Temple so if there's no roster movement which is rare in today's college basketball. I think I wrote that almost word for word in the in the in the uh, Aiden Tobiasen story, and I should be talking to him soon. Um, Temple's going to be right now. If nobody left, they'd be at 13 scholarships. So 
once these guys sign, once Dylan Batia and Aiden Tobias and sign their national letters of intent later this month, Temple's essentially done with the 2024 class. Now, of course, they could, things are fluid, somebody could leave, but it really allows them, it's critically important for them because it allows them to really, really turn things up now with the 25 and 26 classes, keeping an eye on, on the transfer portal as we get into like February and March when people start playing whisper down the lane, like, oh, this guy might be looking to go here or there, but um, it puts them in a really, really good spot. And I think this is kind of the the shot in the arm that, that Adam and his staff needed because unless everybody plays at their peak performance this year, I don't, I don't want to sell them short, but it's going to be a challenge for them to get to the NCAA tournament uh, with what they lost. But again, we'll see how they how they respond in the season opener against Maryland Eastern Shore. But uh, a really, really good week for them. I want to play a clip here from my conversation with with Dylan Batie, again, his his father played at Temple, and uh, you can hear that full interview. But here's Dylan Batie just talking about um, why he chose Temple and why and why you know he chose Temple over Washington, Washington State, and, and some of the other programs he had it, um, offers from. I know you had a lot of offers. What was it about Temple that made you just pull the trigger on Temple? I think knowing that Coach Fish is all for me and he believes in me and trusts me, I think that was a big role. You know, my dad also went there, so that's a good thing. You know, I want to one of him. <laughs> I think I have a, a good chance to go there and and produce and uh, help get back to the tournament, knowing that the program has a good history. And I just think really it's just about, like, I feel like they've always been one or two players away from being a great team. So I said, why not take that chance? And then the other clip we're going to play for you here is from Mike Cassidy. He is the head coach at, at St. Elizabeth down in, in Delaware. Um, again, I'm looking forward to talking to Aiden Tobias and soon. Uh, didn't get a chance to talk to him for the story before he announced his decision today. But this is Mike Cassidy. And again, we're going to have my full conversation with him up on the site very soon. So again, if you're an Scoop subscriber, you can check that out. But this is Mike Cassidy talking about just about Aiden because, again, he's a relative newcomer in terms of really, I can't really say it better than Ari did uh, in the story uh, when I talked to him and he gave me a quote for the story about um, how rare it is for him to have like this much of a a step up in his game and for his recruiting profile to jump the way it did uh, in terms of like, you know, he's he's got a good shot, he's athletic, he really doesn't have any bad habits. And Mike Cassidy knows him as well as anybody. He's his head coach at St. Elizabeth. So this is Mike talking a little bit about Aiden Tobias and give everybody, giving everybody a preview of what they can expect from him. So last year, as a junior, he started to kind of fill the, you know, the main scoring role. And we always kind of had it in the back of our head, you know, like when he comes into his body, you know, grows and matures a little bit. You know, we like to see like, you know, what's his, what's his, what's his ceiling. And Towards the end of his junior year, we really realized, like, wow, this this kid is lights out from the three. And then he really started to understand, like, going into his senior summer, you know, I, I kind of have to take Aiden, – Aiden's very uh, team ball first, and he, he kind of realized that if I don't get these shots up, you know, I, I got to take on a main scoring role. And so he did this summer and um, really came into his own in the fall as well. And, you know, so senior year, he's we're, we're, we're excited for his senior year. As like I said, if you're an Scoop subscriber, you can listen to the, my full conversation with Dylan Batie, my full conversation with Mike Cassidy, uh, where you'll hear him talk more about Aiden Tobias and, and read more just about what's, like I said, it's been a very good recruiting week for Adam Fisher and his staff. And uh, I should be talking to Aiden pretty soon. So we'll have more recruiting coverage for you 
in the coming weeks. We've got a Temple Navy football game to talk about, guys. Uh, they needed a bye week. They're hurt. They're banged up. They were not competitive at all on offense uh, against against North Texas and certainly against SMU. They're coming off a bye. Navy's coming off a bye. Temple's 2-6. and six. They should be getting E.J. Warner back at quarterback. Obviously, the no-kidding statement of the day is that he'll give them a huge boost. Navy's 3-4. and four. They're coming off a bye after a 17-6 loss to Air Force. Um, I know they run the triple option. I think this is – was that like a – That was my uh, throw to the, the outside. Yeah, to the, to yeah. the flanker. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, Good move. But, you know, and we won't spend as much time talking about this game. We got a couple of mail. I think we got a couple more mailbag questions to get to. But um, Ty Lavatai is still their quarterback down there. Uh, When Air Force got ahead, and this is really one of the ways you do it, when Air Force got ahead, it forced him to throw more. He was 13 of 23 for just 96 yards, one touchdown and two picks. Yes, Temple has struggled mightily to stop the run, but... I think when we get to predictions, I think this is a winnable game for them because it allows your safeties, it allows your linebackers to be more participatory in stopping the run, even your corners. Now, it's not to say that, that Lavtai can throw a little bit. Navy's had some quarterbacks in the past that literally have, have not thrown at all. They've thrown a handful of times. But that's not what they want to do. And, again, they got behind, and that's why you're seeing some of the numbers that they've seen. Um what do you guys think about this game? Do you think, you know, again, Temple's got a losing streak to snap here. I think this is a winnable game. How do you guys see it? Yeah, I mean, I see it more as a winnable game. I think even last year, I mean, that's a game against Navy that you probably could have and should have overtime won, game, yeah. That overtime game. And I think that you see them not want revenge, but I think that's a game that Temple could come out and, you know, get revenge for. And I think just having EJ back, I think, is a big thing. The last time we saw him play, I mean, he had his best game of the season while they didn't win. I think he kind of he, – he hasn't had a sophomore slump, but I feel like he hasn't played to what people expected him to. And I think the last game, last time we saw him play, he kind of snapped out of it, and I think he's ready to continue that coming out of concussion mm-hmm. protocol. Yeah, I'd like to agree with you. I think there's a there's definitely a difference, though, between winnable game and – And actually going out and winning it. Correct. And I just think the triple option – you know, I've said it before on this uh, on this – beautiful program that beautiful program. I grew up a Notre Dame fan and which meant I watched a Navy game once a year and every single year you know you'd say oh this is one of the best defenses in the country and then somehow Navy would give them you know trouble because stopping the triple option yes it's about like being on top of who is your assignment and who is your assignment which Temple has struggled with but it's also about communication which Temple has also struggled with on defense so I think like yes it's a winnable game but I think you know, not that you guys are discounting, because I don't think you are, but like, I think it's something to, to keep in mind that communication and missed assignments have been two of the biggest issues right. for the defense this year. And that's probably, this is the game where that's going to matter the most. But I do think the offense will keep it in, keep them in the game. But it's, you know, are they going to be able to have long possessions or is it going to be more EJ airing it out down the field, they score quickly, and then the defense comes well, back. That's the tricky thing. I think were you and were you and I talking about this? Yeah, I think we're yeah, out, we were out talking of here the other day. I mean, like Temple's got to get points, however they can get them, and you know they 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 could, you know Navy again. They, they they anytime you talk about Navy football, there are so many cliches. I mean, they do what they do, they do it well. They don't have, you know, these big like 320, 330 pound guys, um 
either side of the line, really. But the Temple could be able to run the ball against them. But if, if it's a three-play, 67-yard drive in two minutes and 30 seconds, so be it. But, yeah, sure, it would help if they could run the ball. Maybe this might be a game where Danny Langsdorf says we're going to try quick passes to the tight ends, you know, screens, stuff like that. They're going to get their they're going to get their yards. Navy gets their yards against most teams. This is not going to be a game where Temple comes out of it and holds Navy to 75 yards rushing. They're just going to run and run and run, you know, with, you know, with, you know, the fullback dives and all that stuff. They don't deviate much from that, but the key obviously, like I said, is just getting up on them and getting a lead and if you can take a one-score lead and make it a two-score lead, that's when Ty Lavatai is going to start to drop back a little bit more, and then you can start sending pressure. So people, like, you can't so much get caught up in the yardage, and, you know, Temple could win this game and still give up 275 yards on the ground because of the the, the brand of football that they play. But prediction time, we'll start with you, Declan. You have a scowl on your face. You look angry. I'm not angry. I'm tired. Uh, I think, oh, man, this is tough. I, this this game literally could go either way. Like this, I could see any game could go either way. No, I, well, I should say that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Really. That's debatable. Not really. Um, I would say, I think Navy wins, and I think they win 27-24. And I think we're talking maybe not overtime, but it comes down to the end. I had twenty eight twenty four. I I was just about to say twenty eight twenty four, but I'll I'll change my, I'll change my score. Um, no, you got to go with what you believe. I was I was gonna say twenty eight twenty four Temple. Okay. I, I think it's I think it was gonna be. How about that synergy right there? Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I, I well, Stan was pretty. You know, I mean, he. I shouldn't say that the you know Camden Price has ability, but Stan said we we need. We need yeah, more we need out of more. him. We expect more, um, is what he said. I, I, I think there's a good chance of them bouncing back and getting a win this week again. This is a flawed football team. They're beat up. They're injured. We've got a, a football mailbag question here to to get to. But um, I think some people, like I said, are getting caught up in, in the numbers. This isn't like a, a Miami team that's that's rushing for 250, 260 yards a game. They, they pose real problems. Not that Navy doesn't. Again, they know how to block. They know how to they, they know how to do just enough without getting called for a cut blocking and stuff like that. They know what they do and they do it well. But I think there's so much film for them to dissect. And I think again, this is a game where Jordan McGee could bounce back. If Andy Rigby uh, could bounce back, this is where your linebackers and safeties could say, "Okay, this is a game for us to really get back to feeling good about ourselves." Again, they always players will say this. They have to. They can be lulled into thinking, run, 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 and then you can get burned on the pass. So it's not as easy as it sounds. But the Jalen McMurray's of the world, again, like the Alex Odom's of the world, can can really focus on pursuing the run. You're not going to – Temple hasn't really been getting too many people and stopping the run on that first line of defense. But, again, this is where your your linebackers and safeties are, are really, really important. So I'll try to be optimistic and, and uh, you know, predict a Temple win. Let's go to the mailbag, Doc. His headphones on. You can hear the, you can hear the, the generic Jimmy Eat World Blink 182 esque song. We can't. I can hear it in spirit. Did you get a haircut? Your bangs no. get cut a little bit. Oh. I think it's just because his hair's no, all messed up. No, I was headbanging to the song. Well, well, there you go. Yes, there you go. It's beautiful. Right. Uh, a couple, a couple from the football board here, and I think we have a basketball one to get to that was non uh, Diane Richardson related uh one question here from the screen name is lone star 2000 
What grade would you give the incoming transfers through this point in the season? Who are the biggest surprises? Who did not perform up to the level it's expected? I mean, if I'm just going down the the roster here, I mean, let, let's assume that, that Lone Star 2000 is talking about transfers that came in just for, for this season. Dante Wright has has been okay. Again, I'm not going to be too critical of the receivers over the last couple of weeks as they just didn't have a capable quarterback getting them getting them the ball. Also um, been banged up as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Forrest Brock from Santa Monica Community College. Again, I don't want to get him too much. Again, he was overwhelmed in his first college start. Not the ideal spot to 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 be going in on. Um, I'm just going down the line here. Um, I mean, Taiwan Francis has certainly, I think he's been more good than not good. He certainly, I think he was an impactful player right away. Again, they're not going to go to a bowl game this year, but he seals off the Akron win with that interception. He can yeah. hit, he can pursue. He still made his share of mistakes too, but I think I think we've seen more good yeah. out of him. Yeah, Dewan Black is also kind of coming to his own, especially yeah. as a pass rusher. Yep. Yeah. Um, EJ Wilson really hasn't been a factor in the in the backfield. Not that they were billing him up to be uh, a, a, a significant piece that they were going to rely upon. I'll say, and again, we had him as a guest on on the podcast before. I think back in the spring or early part of the summer. Um, ben Esweke from Blinn Junior College down in Texas. I think they were hoping for a little bit more out of him. Uh, certainly, got, he's been beat in coverage a, a few times. Again, if we're trying to tell the full story here, if they had a more, if they had a healthier or higher functioning defensive line, coverage gets easier. You can do more. So I, I don't want to just one off and say this guy should do this that guy should do this i mean it's been a, it's been a, uh, a a combination of things that have contributed to a really rough season for the defense i, I think ben Aswake could still be pretty good but i don't think that he's had the season that that he would have hoped or that the the staff would have hoped um going down the list here again kamar wilcox and dewan black uh have have certainly helped chris van Ekren, hate to pick on a special teams guy but hasn't necessarily been again it's so obvious to say if you have a kickoff specialist and their job is just put the ball in the back of the end zone or get get some touchbacks they haven't really necessarily haven't really gotten the the production out of him that they wanted Davion Hood's seen some snaps out of East Tennessee State um well Joseph Apayadarqua is is not a new transfer but they're starting I'll bring him up because he's he's starting to um see more playing time uh I just want to make sure I don't leave anyone out here Chris Smith um I don't know if he's been banged up but if he isn't hasn't really worked his way into the offensive line rotation and again we we know that they could use help there Diego Brajas you know learning but again he's he's a Juco guy if he's he's not a uh redshirt freshman out of the transfer portal I think they were hoping that, that that he would be better um, Landon Morris couldn't play this year. He has to sit out. I think that they have high hopes for him. So again, he, he hasn't transferred in from, uh, from Utah. Alan Hay gets an incomplete was starting to play. Well, I think you could say that you were starting to get production out of him. He was really he starting to come were. into his yeah. own, had the sack against Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And then of course they lose him to a season ending injury. And then KJ miles lost for the whole season with an injury before it even started. So 
there are some incompletes in here. I think if you were to give them an overall grade, I think maybe a a, a C minus. There's just so much that that goes into it. Um, but for a two and six team, you can't really give them a, a great grade. I think you've seen some flashes from certain guys, but there are just so many variables to it. But I don't know if that's harsh or too fair or too. I think just that's right. I think that's on par. I think. Yeah, like you said, they're two and six team, and I feel like there's some people that have stood out, and other people that have kind of really disappointed. So I think kind of in the middle there, like mm-hmm. a C minus is fair. Yeah. Ditto. Did you say ditto? Ditto. Do you know where that reference comes from? No, I know it's a Pokemon. Oh, I guess so. I'm really not watching. <laughs> it is a po- it is a Pokemon. <laughs> That's the only one I knew back in the day because I, I was going more for the ghost reference with the with, to me more in Patrick Swayze. Oh, is that the one where they do the pottery stuff? Yes. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Yes. Never seen it. He would say, I love you, and he'd say, ditto. Ah. Yeah. There you go. Was he a ghost? Is that a spoiler? A spoiler from a a (laughs) movie from the the late late 80s, early 90s. You know, I don't know. If you haven't seen Ghost yet, then yeah, I don't want to spoil it. We'll have a watch party. (laughs) (laughs) Declan Landis' watch party. Again, I will will say you are good with with, uh, following up on movies and keeping up on shows. So. Uh, another mailbag question here from dblaze 75 who also submitted a question uh, that we read to Diane Richardson. Uh, basketball, men's basketball question here. Other than a team that likes to shoot threes, what would likely be the identity of an Adam Fisher program? I think that, again, we'll see what we start to see on Monday when they open the season against Maryland Eastern Shore. I think that, that Adam's going to be tasked with striking that balance between being a little bit more upbeat and positive and also at the same time holding his players accountable um i still think to this day i know things didn't work out for him at temple i think aaron mckee is a very good basketball coach he knows the game inside and out i think aaron in retrospect probably would have been a very good college basketball coach in the late 90s early 2000s and he knows what he knows and i think that it took a while for him to learn to be patient with these guys. He's a little bit more old school. It's not to say that he didn't have some modern concepts at both ends of the floor. But I think that the identity of an Adam Fisher program, part of it, in addition to shooting threes, I don't think it's just going to be that simple. And Adam, I think, has said this to a few people. It's going to be like, we might have a set play for you, but if you see an opportunity, take it. If you have a matchup, take it. If you are if you have a matchup advantage, you feel like you can take your guy off the dribble, take it and again it's not to say that Aaron bogged his teams down with like a super complex offensive playbook but I think I think you're gonna see a little bit more of an engaged team again I don't want to sell anybody on false promises and say that they're gonna be an NCAA tournament team if they are I think that will surprise a lot of people but I think you're gonna see a team that has a little bit more cohesive of an offensive identity of course I, I don't know who they're on the defensive end I don't know who their best defenders are going to be if it's Jaleel White I don't know if that they have like a real solid rim projector if, if Steve Settle can be that type of player if Emmanuel Cuomo can be that type of player but I think you're going to see a little bit more of a cohesive offense and a team that's playing a little bit more freely and with a little bit more confidence yeah I mean I think I mean that we got kind of developed to seeing the give the ball to Damian Don or Caliph Battle and mm-hmm. just go with it. I, I, I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see more, like you mentioned, the cohesive playing together, kind of run with the hot hand, kind of stuff like that. I don't I don't think it'll be the give the ball to this guy and figure it out after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of the same things you guys were saying. And I also think there are going to be 
a lot less emphasis on the front court than we've seen in Temple basketball in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Steve Settle, obviously being the tallest person on the team and being expected to be at least a, a stretch four and, you know, playing on the outside and that kind of thing, I think that's kind of a signal as well of, of what we'll see in the future. Whereas in the past, it's been a lot about, you know, the big men in the interior game and, and things like that. So, I mean, we'll see, like you said, on Monday. But I think that's what I kind of expect going into it. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple more basketball mailbag questions to get to here. Uh, from the basketball board, the screen name is Mike TB 31 Predict Temple men's basketball's top three scores in order. Johnny, I'll Ooh, start with you. Thank in you order? Um, okay, I'm going to say... Stick to your guns. Steve Settle. That's not Matteo Piccarelli. What? I said, Mate- yeah. That's not what you said in print, though. Oh, okay. Matteo Piccarelli, number one. Steve <laughs> Settle, number two. And number three, I'll say Hasir Miller. Okay. I don't mind that list. However, Steve Settle, number one. I think Quante Berry's probably going to be the number two scorer. I don't know why. That's a gut not. feeling. You do not? No. I'd say he won't contribute, but go ahead. I'm I do think Jordan Riley's up there. I don't know if he's number th- Yeah, I'll put him at number three. I think Jordan Riley. So that's my list. I'm going to go Steve Settle, Matteo Piccarelli, and Jordan Riley third. I think you're going to see Heisel Miller more along the lines of uh, passer fourth facilitator. Fourth. Yes. Yeah, again, and I think there could be a lot of – they're going to need a lot of facilitators in this, in this offense. Oh, it's yeah. It's not just going to be – one guy just bring the ball um just bring the ball up the floor uh another i know there are a couple more uh questions to to get to here um the screen name what what tu asks for you guys uh under the impression that the second player is committed by the time you record you're correct how would you grade this week's commitments slash adam and the staff's job of recruiting also what else would you expect for the 2024 class i'll it's fun to debate Grades are kind of meaningless, but I appreciate the question. I'll give him an A minus for this week. Are you an adjunct professor? I am. Did you say grades are meaningless? When we're talking about <laughs> grades for <laughs> Sorry. He caught him red handed. Very, very good. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. You can play the clapping track if you want. <laughs> you don't have to. Do I have to? You, you're you're a menace with this stuff, and I have to prompt you on it. Do um, it man. I mean, when it comes to when I when it comes to grading grading teams, I, I but no, I I'll give him an A minus for this week, and I'll tell you why because they they looked at a priority in Dylan Batie, who had some high major offers, can really do a lot for them. And I think they needed to get a legacy recruit. If you listen to, if you have the opportunity to listen to my conversation with Dylan, he kind of gets it and says like, yeah, I had some other offers. I could have gone to some other places, but why not here? Why not get Temple back to to where it needed to be? They don't have they don't have like three or four seasons in a row of NCAA tournament success to sell. They have potential, they have playing time to sell, which is not, you know, which is not to be overlooked, but they identified a a priority in Dylan Batiste and got him. And then they were smart enough to jump on Aiden Tobiasen before he really, really blew up. Again, haven't seen Aiden play yet, but everybody just says this guy's a stud. He's really, really good. Kid can score the basketball. Mm -hmm. He's a very good, again, players resumes are about more than highlights but if you if you watch video that's out there on them and you'll hear again if you if you listen to my interview with Mike Cassidy his his shooting stroke is there he does not have a broken shot he's really athletic they got in at the right time on this guy 
Um, and to tie into the second part of your question here, what what to you again? What else would you expect for the 2024 class? They're as of now they're done. Now, do I think that there could be some more future roster movement? Yeah, I'd be kind of shocked if there isn't. But another reason why I give them an A minus is because they're you know provided there are no surprises here, and Aiden and and Dylan sign, they can really look at the 2024 class and say we're done. If somebody leaves, and if there's a spring edition or a mid-year transfer, they're in good position to do that. They're not they're not waiting into the spring and trying to cast a line and say, maybe we can get this guy. They got two guys that they really wanted. They got them locked up. So that's the grade I would give them. All right, that'll 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 do it for this week. Again, a, a real fun episode to do. A big, big thank you to Diane Richardson for joining us for a wonderful conversation. Again, the Temple women's team will be opening its season Monday against Delaware State. The men will be following them up after that at the Leah Corps Center against Maryland Eastern Shore. So a big thank you to you all for tuning in. For this week's episode, next week we're going to have Ari Rosenfeld from Elite High School Scouting who's going to be able to really give you detailed scouting reports on both Dylan Batie and Aiden Tobias and to give you an indication of what Temple's getting in those players. So have fun this weekend at the game if you're going, and we'll talk to you soon.